Green Left Weekly Radio. There is one newspaper that is independent of powerful interests, and that's Green Left Weekly. It's a people's voice committed to human and civil rights, environmental sustainability, democracy and equality. It presents ideas mainstream media won't. It's the leading source of local, national and international news analysis and discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movement. It exposes the lies and distortions of the power brokers and helps us to better understand the world around us. Good morning, listeners. And um, welcome to, to Green Left Radio. Um, this is Jacob and Lalita at the home today. And before we start, we'd like to pay respects to um, elders of the um, Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Uh, this land was uh, never ceded. We live on stolen land. And it always was. Always and was always and, always, and always will be Aboriginal land. Aboriginal land. Um, and before we move on, I also want to make the announcement that this program is streaming live on the web and for, for all those who are interested. And of course, it will be brought a podcast. And if you missed a story, uh, you're welcome to catch up on the web. And in today's program, we have a couple of interesting um, interviews. One is with the uh, Moreland Councillor Sue Bolton. Uh, seems like Moreland is broiled in a number of um, uh, issues uh, of interest to people everywhere. One was to do with um, the laws, uh, democratic or undemocratic laws, that were discussed at Council yesterday, on, on Wednesday. And the other is about the housing situation. Um, so we'll have a um, sort of a lengthy interview with her on both those topics. And we also have news about um, mental health illness, no, mental health services in the um, eastern region. We'll be interviewing an organiser from um, the Health and Community Services Union, HECSU, <coughs> excuse me, about this issue. So we will start off with um, some news, Jacob. All right, so um, listeners have probably been following, um, and this is something that Green Left Weekly Radio has been covering um, week by week, but it's been the whole kind of fight that has been happening in the Australian Greens um, relating to Lee Rhiannon. Um, just to, you know, give a bit of background, um, in basically due to... Um, you know, some leaflets that um, Lee Rhiannon Lee basically um, campaigned um, against um, these Gonski 2.0 reforms and a Greens group had prepared some leaflets um, urging senators and MPs to vote against these. Um, the Greens Federal Party Room had felt that this had compromised on the potential, on uh, a potential deal they could have made with the Liberal government and had it since, um, voted to suspend Lee Rhiannon from the party room. Um, now. Uncontentious issues. Yeah. Um, so basically a recent development that has happened is, um, basically the Greens were, sh- um, federally were trying to because basically the reason why Lee Rhiannon, you know, undertook this course of action is um, a big difference between New South Wales Greens and, say, the Victorian Greens, is um, New South Wales Greens um, senators and MPs are actually bound um, by membership um, on what basically the membership decides on, you know, policy, etc. and they're, um, those MPs... Elected MPs in All New South Wales are actually bound, bound yeah, um, by 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 the membership, um, and so basically the federal Greens were putting pressure 
on the New South Wales Greens to basically change um, that constitution. Um, but uh, a recent development has now um, occurred, and it's basically the Greens allow um, uh, allowing Lee Rhiannon back into the party room, oh. but with some strings attached, although the complication, it's a bit complicated to explain this, um, but basically they have agreed to create... Uh, to allow Lee Rhiannon back in the party room, but in the case they've uh, agreed to create a balance of power subcommittee, BPS, um, to consider legislation when the party finds itself in the balance of power in the Senate and when one of its members have been um, extracted by a state branch to take a fixed position against the rest of the party, which is would be Lee yeah. Rhiannon in that case. Yeah. So uh, basically what it means is that Lee Rhiannon will contribute to party room debates and decision-making, but if the party finds itself in a position where it has to power to block or pass legislation, she'll be excluded from the subcommittee that considers the issue. Um, what a lot of garbage. So it's basically just, uh, I think they've just created this one extra kind of bureaucratic thing yeah. to kind of... Ex- you know, so it's, I, at the same time, I would consider it kind of a partial victory in a sense, um, that because of the overwhelming mm. pressure of mm. that New South Wales Greens, because the New South Wales Greens were actually threatening to sort of cut federal funding, um, from, um, in light of this kind of decision they by. They were, weren't they? Yeah. Um, so I think this is actually, you know, for the left of the Greens, this is actually a partial victory. Um, and of course, I don't, um, the fact that they haven't um, completely excluded Lee Rhiannon from the pay room. Because I'm democratic. She's an elected senator, for God's sake. Mm. Um, but yeah, there's been actually been a lot of interesting kind of analysis, um, that can be read on New Matilda. Um, and even, there's even an article in Overland. I, um, that goes into kind of a lot of detail about the kind of analysis between, you know, the kind of how the Greens in New South Wales operate compared to the, compared to the rest of the Greens branches in, across different states. Um, it's fortunately a bit of a, comp, a bit too complicated of a topic. It'll probably take 10 to 15 minutes to really cover, but maybe in the future we might, um, cover it, um, maybe with an interview with, um, one, um, one of the writers of these pieces. Yeah, that'll be interesting because, um, but going on from there, actually, there's a, a, a piece in the um, current um, Green Left Weekly. Uh, what do we call it? Calling it now, Common Sense. Is that what we call it? Um, common Cause. Common Cause. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I was getting the title wrong. But it it's an interesting um, analysis of um, this sort of. Um, shenanigans within any political party where you've got, you know, a person who's elected to represent the people of a particular state or electorate or whatever. And then the question arises, should that person be uh, answerable or accountable to the people who voted for them or to the party-run parliamentary um, apparatus? And I guess in in England or Britain, a similar um, issue arose when Jeremy Corbyn was being pressured by the parliamentary caucus to um, do certain things. And he um, was elected by the people, and ALP, uh, not ALP, the British Labour Party's policies are... The, for example, you know, who, who elects the leader of the party uh, is a crucial one that we talked about in the past. And, of course, um, we said the people, the members of the ALP in general, <coughs> vote for the, leader, uh, for the leader, not the parliamentary caucus. So similar things are appearing in different countries. Um, 
Now, this sort of um, pressure comes upon various parties for a couple of reasons. One, that the membership actually start putting pressure on the leadership and say, look, this is what we want, and you need to listen to the, to the membership. Um, or the other thing is the right-wing pressure that we are suffering are across the world. And this, this, this um, article actually leads into, this is, a, I guess, a segue into the broader issue of um, how do we build a people's movement in Australia or anywhere, anywhere really, in terms of strategies and, and things we do. And this is where Alex Bainbridge talks about um, the phenomena um, of where there are breaks in um, to to where where we can you can insert progressive demands for example he calls it left wing break to build a social movement um, so it's it's quite an interesting article um, and he and his analysis includes the the fact that the right wing has gained a lot of momentum uh, Trump of course and then we've got Marie Le Pen uh, with 10 million votes which is nothing to sneeze at and it's 34 percent in the French presidential elections. And then we've got um, Hansen here, and we've had various right-wing uh, groups uh, showing their head in Europe as well, whether it's Austria, Hungary, or, or wherever. So the, the, the Corbyn phenomena and the Sanders phenomena actually stand out as ones that are actually having this left-wing, so-called left-wing break to build a people's and a social movement, and people are responding to it. And I think the biggest thing that Trump has done is to allow that... that um, mobilization of people, involvement of people in left-wing politics, and people are questioning decisions. And um, I, was, I was listening to news, I was uh, or reading somewhere where people in, in the Trump land, so to speak, in the South, are not following him, uh, his tweets and so on. And the, while they're still supporting Trump, uh, there's a bit of grumbling appearing, and that is that instead of forever tweeting, he needs to get and do some work. That's the sentiment that's arising. And, you know, it's not surprising because Trump is actually running a country like a showman. While people voted for him because he's a good businessman, um, which is what how we are taught or, or conditioned to think, the reality is the government is not business. And they themselves, even the right wing have said that government shouldn't be involved in business, but it's businessmen who are running the government like um, Turnbull, like Putin, like uh, Trump. And it's not working, and that's a problem. But this article talks about, um, you know, how it's important to reduce the international social movement, to reduce the um, influence of uh, right wing, uh, you know, influence on workers like people like Hanson who pick up the workers who are affected but have nowhere to go. And we need to reduce that sort of social, uh, social um, responses and give, them, give workers space and people who are dis- disenfranchised, in, in disenfranchised space to express themselves. So instead of um, having individual leaders who, who come out and, and, you know, like preach, like whether it's Superman or whatever they think they are, win the people's movement, mobilize uh, people's movement that actually are able to discuss and participate in political matters, uh, and we will talk more about this with, with Sue on 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 the um, Moulin issue as a, a, pro, a good example of local um, issues that we have. Um, I guess in, in Social Alliance we have done that um, quite well, and, and Sue certainly has um, demonstrated how to involve people in issues that are democratic and fair. 
And, uh, of course, you know, unlike Sanders and Corbyn, we, we I guess, cannot hope for such a break, um, a left-wing break in the Greens, and we talked about this before. So let's um, leave that there so that people can actually uh, go to the article and read it, and it's, I think it's a very interesting analysis. All right, so in some other news, um, just relating to... Um, We'll spend the next six minutes talking about a bit, some news from um, the latest Green Left Weekly. Um, but one of the articles um, here is about this um, whole subject of um, green jobs um, and not um, timber. Um, the Victorian government has, um, this is um, written by Kerry Smith, um, the Victorian government announced on July 3rd um, it had made an in-principle deal to buy the Australian Sustainable Hardwoods Timber Mill. Um, you know, this deal to save, you know, Australia's largest hardware mill, as stated here, could cost, you know, taxpayers up to 50 million. Um, but, you know, Friends of the Earth Forest spokesperson, um, Ed Hill said the continued operation of the mill would come at a massive cost to the environment. Wood supplied to the ash mill comes from the mountain ash forests of the central highlands. He said these forests are listed as a critically endangered ecosystem on the International Union for Conservation and Nature Red List. And then he says, um, states here that, you know, the government's moved to hand over tens of millions of taxpayer dollars to prop up an environmentally and economically unsustainable business is short-sighted. The jobs at the mill cannot be sustained into the long term because Victorian forests are running out of wood. The mill's continued operation will hasten the decline of endangered wildlife and ecosystems while failing to provide long-term job certainty um, in the region. You know, only about 260 people are directly employed by the mill, making the big it's the biggest employer in the Hayfield, a small town about 200 kilometres east of Melbourne in La Shrove Valley. About 750 people in the valley lost their jobs when the Hazelwood um, power station closed in March. Um, but, um, you know, one of the... Um, Jane Calvert, um, the National President of the Construction, Forestry, Mining and Energy Union, CFMU, said the agreement to buy the bill from the Herman Group had removed the threat of forced redundancies, which were scheduled to begin in August with a view um, to closing the mill in um, by 2009, but she said the future of the of the mill depended on the long-term security of its timber supply, which was reduced by half in January by state-owned Victoria um, Forest in response to environmental pressures on the central Highlands Mountain Industry. But then Agriculture Minister um, Jalaya Pulford said the details of the agreement, which will be finalised um, at the end of July, will get to be worked out, but that what the government would save every job we possibly can. Um, you know, uh, then here that, you know, um, we have, we have pressure on the resources of the real, but we believe we have environmental factors protecting it the way they want and have a strong and viable timber industry. But workers say scores of jobs remain at risk even with government, um, buying the mill. Uh, Maurice McCarthy, um, 60, who has worked, um, at the mill, um, for 25 years, said news of the government takeover was no reason to celebrate. There's worry for everyone um, because there will be job losses, he said. It's just a matter of who goes and who doesn't. It won't go back to what it was. And, of course, um, Hill said that, you know, there are solid, in the article it says here, there are solid arguments that would see a progressive government bring core infrastructure like public transport, energy production or transport infrastructure back into public hands, but it's a very different matter to prop up an industry that is clearly unsustainable in its current form, like, you know, referring to the timber industry. While it might save jobs in the short term, it would not resolve 
the structural problems of the current forestry system, propping up an industry that has not proven to be economically valued, only pushes today's problem onto a future government. And of course, um, the Wilderness um, Society's Victorian Campaigns Manager, Amelia Young, agreed. She said the best way to develop a sustainable Victorian wood and paper industry is to complete the transition to plantations and to stop logging critically endangered forests. General solutions um, need to involve the creation of new national parks and the creation of other regional jobs. Regional communities and local businesses are leading the call for the creation of the Great Forest National Park, which could generate new economic opportunities, exciting visitor experiences, and at least 760 full-time sustainable govs. And then concluding here, the Andrews government needs to get on with the job of protecting eastern forests and create the Great Forest National Park. Um, so, you know, basically, kind of analysis, there's this sort of, you know, conflict of, um, you know, you know, they've bought this kind of timber mill on the basis, you know, that, you know, it create, it's creating jobs. Um, but of course, the... It's always the excuse they have. And, and they don't look at the broader picture of um, environmental mm. sustainability and, you know, the fact that that's carbon emission. That's also, things, everybody knows about these things. It's a question of how the government responds and what sort of plan does it have to balance the creation job, creation of jobs and sustaining um, the natural environment. Mm. Um, and, and that's never discussed. They don't have a, a, a proper broad feasibility study as they normally do. And I think that's what's insulting to people who um, want to see that balance, and it's not done so, and, and they focus on jobs, <coughs> jobs, jobs. Yes, you can create jobs without having to destroy the habitats you know, mm. of animals and you know, yeah, and this um, whole idea of uh, a great national, you know, forest national park is actually a fantastic idea. It's mm. environmentally sustainable. It contributes, you know, to sustainability as I um, sort of reiterate. And then, but it also creates, you know, very long-term sustainable jobs for people that need it. Mm. Shall we go to a break while I get Sue on the line? Yep, we'll um, quickly play an announcement and um, listeners can tune in for an interview at 7.20 with Sue Bolton. The Australian Unemployed Workers Union invites you all to a rousing Jam for Jobs and Justice concert on Sunday July 30, featuring the Horn Stars, Reds Under the Bed and Moreland City Marching Band at the Bella Union Bar, Trades Hall, Carlton, from 2 to 5pm. For tickets, phone 96505699 or book online at bellaunion.com.au. $15 full, $10 concession. Raffles and prizes are part of the deal. For more info, contact unemployedworkersunion.com. Help protect the rights and dignity of unemployed workers and pensioners. Get along to Jobs and Justice. Bella Union, Sunday, July 30. Smith Street Dreaming has become one of the area's most anticipated street festivals, featuring Pigeon Jara Man, Frank Yammer, Soul Diva Emma Donovan, Hip Hoppers Young Warriors, Indigenous Hip Hop Projects Wurundjeri Dance Group Jindy Warabak, MC Shelley Ware from the Mangook Footy Show and much more. Smith Street Dreaming on the corner of Smith and Stanley Streets Collingwood, Saturday the 22nd of July, 1 till 5pm. Smith Street Dreaming, one street, many mobs, one community. This is an alcohol and drug free event a 3CR supporter.
Okay. Morning, sir. Good morning. On one. Um, good morning. Now you've turned it off. Go to one. Hi, sir. Hi, how's it going? <laughs> Hi, we had a bit of um, technical issues. Um, so just introducing um, Sue Bolton. Um, for though she's a regular guest on our program, and um, she is a Moreland um, City Councillor of the North East um, Ward, and also a member of um, Socialist Alliance. Right, so um, the first question, um, basically we're interviewing her today because um, there's been these changes um, to local laws um, proposed by Moreland City Council. Um, they, maybe before we go on on what had actually happened with the local laws at Wednesday's council meeting, um, Sue, can you tell us a bit of background on you know, these laws that were put forward that are kind of anti-democratic and also can be construed as an attack on homeless people? Well, um, Moreland Council um, decided to review its local laws after the Cobeg anti-racism rally last year. And the council officers put forward a report for council last last Wednesday night. Um, These local laws, actually most of them are the same as the previous or current set of local laws because... Actually, quite a lot of councils have undemocratic laws on their books, which they don't always implement. And I know that around the country, social science members have had battles in different cities with um, local councils over the right to have a stall in a public place and hand out a few leaflets and, and distribute material. And... So I suspect that quite a lot of councils in Melbourne have these laws on their books. Um, but there was a new local law that they were um, planning on introducing, and that was a ban on protests without a permit um, under the title obstruction. Uh, they also um, elaborated on their no camping ban to include people camping in vehicles, which I saw as, well, I mean, the whole um, no camping issue, um, you know, after the camping ban, homeless ban in City of Melbourne, I was really uh, alarmed about that as well. So there were, there were anti-homeless and anti-democratic provisions in the local law that was presented to councillors last Wednesday night. People, isn't it, in a sense? You attack... Uh, people who are unable to have homes, unable to have a place to sleep in. Uh, it's actually attacking the poor people, isn't it? No, absolutely. And, and also, um, you know, attacking buskers and so forth. And as one of the um, speakers said on Wednesday night, one of the uh, members of the public, uh, a guy called Steve Roach, who's a CFMU organiser and ex-Morland councillor. This is, um, you know, over-the-top regulation of people in a public place at the same time that corporations, you know, have so little regulation on them and corporations get away with, you know, poisoning the water, treating workers badly, um, with... Horrible safety laws. No penalty or little oversight. Mm. Meanwhile, ordinary people's right to talk to each other in a public place to find out what you think about issues uh, and communicate with other like-minded people in a public place 
is being restricted. Yeah, so um, basically now that they kind of leads into the question, what um, had happened at the Moreland Council meeting on Wednesday in relation to these laws? What things um, were amended and what things got passed and carried? But I think before we go into that, um, you've got a couple of things there, so that you mentioned, see, I've got the list of the laws that were proposed. One was the anti-homeless clause, and there's the... Um, uh, authorization requirements for goods in public place. There's a permit requirement for, there's quite a, a list of issues there. And I'll just quickly read the other three. Uh, permit required for the soliciting of money, that's anti-bagging clause. Permit required for handbills, which you mentioned, sir, an anti-democratic clause. And in the, 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 causing obstruction, apparently, um, by having stalls and protests, and also furniture in the public place, and that's, again, an attack on the homeless. So there's a whole raft of um, uh, point, uh, sort of laws or, or whatever they call it um, uh, that were discussed. So maybe you, you could give us a brief um, summary of what actually was discussed and what the result was. That will be good. Okay. So, so you're right there. There were, there was, so a lot of these laws still existed. And they were there before, sorry, sorry, sir. Were these laws already on the books beforehand? Uh, Most of them were, but not all of them. So the anti-demonstration law was, isn't currently on the books. So all of the, um, local laws being proposed, the anti-democratic laws, on the books, with the exception of the anti-protest law mm. and the anti-camping uh, law, was um, you know further elaborated in a in a way that it wasn't in the in the previous local law. I called a protest on Friday as soon as the agenda became public and started to get the word around about what was in these local laws. And people were absolutely horrified. So at short notice, we called a protest outside the um, council um, town hall on Wednesday night. And we had a really wide range of local groups there, as well as members of the left and some people like Duncan Storer, who some listeners might know, who travelled from Geelong for the protest. And he was the person who on... Q&A a couple of years ago took on the Liberal Party over the treatment of people on the dole. Mm. Um, So, you know, there's a really wide, diverse range of people and people who'd experienced homelessness who came to put the case about this camping ban and the impact that it have on them. Mm. So and I think it's the, one of the key things we haven't mentioned is that these, lo- these changes being proposed in fairly secret uh, environment because not many people know that the council is discussing these laws, do they? It wasn't publicised enough for people to even have an opinion. Would that be right? Yes, but I think that's the general way in which councils operate, governments operate, where um, you know there might be some sorts of briefings of councillors in these secret behind closed doors councillor briefings, um, which. Um, you know, that's not publicised, and then the council agenda only gets publicised five days before the council meeting on the council website. But also, even for people who might look at the council agenda regularly to see what's coming up, 
Um, even some people at that who were at the protest said that they'd looked at the council agenda, saw something about general local law and ha- didn't realise the impact of it. They didn't actually read it, mm. read that report, because these council agendas are sometimes a thousand pages long. Oh, so, God. you know, even for residents who are intrepidly uh, watching what council discusses every month to see if it's something they need to respond to, um, a number of those people missed uh, missed the importance of this. It was only when I contacted them that they re- that they had a look and realised how bad this was. Mm. And the public campaign, I think, was really important. So even though all the other councillors were furious with me for calling a rally and going public about the content of these local laws, the, I think they had an impact because I think a lot of people contacted a lot of councillors and I think that really put some public pressure, put the asset on the councillors. And, you know, people are pointing out all sorts of different arguments about different elements of the clauses, including the fact that these um, free, uh, the anti-democratic clauses would undermine the Human Rights Charter in Victoria. Victoria is the only state with a Human Rights Charter. And while it doesn't go far enough it's still really important in cases like this. And the, and the, you were going to report on the discussion, sorry I interrupted there, but you were going to talk about the discussion and what, um, how it was resolved. So what happened on, uh, at the council meeting, because of the pressure from the public, um, we did have some victories, important victories on, on some issues. Other issues, the water's a bit muddied on uh, with amendments rather than outright deletion of clauses. So the three things we had an outright victory on was a ban on... Uh, the ban on handbills was deleted. The ban on protests was deleted. The ban on soliciting money, i.e. begging, was deleted. So those three things were clear victories. Um, The other things were mostly amended. So um, the ban on camping in a public place was amended to be camping is permissible in prescribed public places uh, but not elsewhere unless you're homeless or have mental illness. Now, that's... um, you know, you'd have to take it on trust that <laughs> that would not be implemented against homeless people and what exactly is the list of public places? What is the definition of being homeless? Um, now, you know, we've been told that staff were implementing this in a sensitive way in the past um, when they had lots of tourists, you know, camping at the Coburg Lakes Reserve that um, staff were moving tourists on, but allowing homeless people to stay. But, you know, exactly what is the definition of homeless? For example, if someone's backpacking around Australia, hits Melbourne, their boss hasn't put the money, their wage in their bank account, and so they're stranded, and so they're camping in their car for a few nights or a week, are they homeless or are they a tourist? Um you know, like exactly how is this being implemented 
And even if current council officers are implementing it in a sensitive way, um, what's to say that a future council officer won't, um, you know, implement it in a really hard-hearted kind of way and just start to harass homeless people? So I think, you know, the fact that council officers are being sent out to move people on who might be camping, um, you know, that is a hassling of homeless people anyway because it's someone um, investigating to find out if someone is homeless or a tourist. And, you know, some people who are homeless might not want to answer questions about their state of homelessness. So I think that is problematic. A lot of homeless people just want to be left alone by authorities. Um, so some other things which were amended rather than clearly... Um, deleted, um, the ban on furniture in a public place, that is um, campaign stalls or community stalls, that still stands unless you're homeless uh, or don't have secure accommodation. So that means um, political groups, community campaigns that want to talk to other members of the community to find if other members of the community have similar concerns to indicate to people that um, they've got concerns over undemocratic laws like these, those stalls will be banned still under these laws. Um, other things uh, which were uh, kept but amended is the ban on busking without a permit. It stays except in certain prescribed areas, which, of course, we can't see at the moment. So what areas would they Sorry, prescribe? Sorry, the, the, the permits cost $300, yeah? Yes, I forgot to mention that. The permits <laughs> cost $300. It's ridiculous. And breaching these bylaws for having a community campaign stall is $500. My goodness. And, and just, just to round up this thing, so we, the, the, essentially the, the public meeting that you called and the debate on council seems to have resulted in a good victory for, for the people who were against these laws, despite the couple of those being retained. But the question I want to put to you very quickly, because we want to go on to the next uh, topic in a minute, is if they're worried about poverty, and the reflection of poverty on the streets as it's you know, seen in these um, apparent laws are so going to solve or, or clean up the, the uh, public streets. Um, why isn't anyone discussing a strategy to reduce or get rid of poverty on council? No, there's not really a serious uh, discussion about that. I think what council does and actually what governments often do is they all point the finger at each other. Um, so council says, ah, oh, it's the state government's responsibility. Of course. Oh, which of course it, it is state mm. and federal government's responsibility um, because one of the causes of the increased pro uh, poverty isn't just the increase in housing prices or, or rent, uh, increase in rents. It's also the fact that um, all of these policies to cut wages, um, refusal to seriously yeah. increase them, uh, you know, benefits, etc. Um, but the council, I believe, does have a responsibility as well. And actually there is a, um, 
a project coming up um, like to help with um, sort of employment of people who are really marginalised being put forward by Faulkner Community House in the current council budget which um, has been controversial amongst councillors but is absolutely needed because the northern part of Moreland is the poorest part of Moreland. Mm. So we need, the council really should be discussing more strategy for, of minimising poverty or supporting people who are living on, on the on the line the, or below the poverty line. And it just, just seems that all these laws they, they have brought to the fore is micromanaging people. And I, I'm thinking, you know, councillors are elected to listen to the public, not tell the public what to do. There's a certain arrogance and, and um, dictatorial flavour coming through in, in these laws that I'm sure will uh, upset a lot of people. And I just want to quickly ask you, when do these um, laws finally get voted on? I think it's September or something, is that right? Well, the process now is it will go out to public consultation for mm-hmm. a month, just a month, um, And then there'll be a hearing of public submissions. So people who put in written submissions will be able to speak to them, I think, in October. That's what it's looking like. That might not be definite yet, but sometime around then. And then the final local law will get voted on in December. Mm, so okay. the campaign goes on. Yep, so we've got an opportunity. I just want to round up the interview, Sue, because yeah. we also want to talk to you about homelessness in a minute. Um, sorry to, to, to cut it off there, but, um, you know, we'll have another go at this. One very important thing to say, we, the campaign's going on. Yep. So we will possibly organise a um, bus, busk for free speech mm. at the Free Speech Memo- uh, Monument in Brunswick where Noel Cunahan was arrested for speaking out in public in the 1930s. Yes, and where's that, sir? That's on the corner of Glenline Road and Sydney Road, outside the Mechanics Institute. Yep. Um, and the other thing is um, there's some discussion about the possibility of a community stall day um, to um, show up the current and potential of a future ban on street stalls. Right. So we will put that on the on the podcast and people who want to listen to this can go and listen to our podcast. Can we um, you know, ask you to hold on for a second? We take a break and we'll come back and talk about another big issue going on in Moreland. It seems to be the hub of activity at the moment uh, on housing. So we'll come back to you if you just hold on, please. Thanks, Sue. <laughs> no worries. You are listening to Greenleaf Radio on the Friday morning breakfast show, broadcast live on 3CR Radio, 855 AM digital and streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Greenleaf Radio is brought to you by the Greenleaf Weekly newspaper, providing a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment before profit. Subscribe to Greenleaf Weekly by visiting the website at greenleaf.org.au. Or call 1-800-634-206. For new subscribers, it's only $10 for the first seven issues. you got to remember, Nanox is a special day for us, fellas. That's a reminder who we are. 
Every year for NAIDOC Week, 3CR Community Radio gives voice to our Indigenous brothers and sisters through Beyond the Bars, Australia's only live prison broadcast. I am a black, black man. NAIDOC means a lot to me. It's about identity and also about past and present. NAIDOC means a lot to me for my family and my people. And the people forgetting about our rights. You can access audio from current and past Beyond the Bars broadcasts via the 3CR website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars and either listen to or download audio from Australia's only live prison broadcasts. Happy NAIDOC! Okay, so um, Sue, are you still there? Yes, I am. Right, so um, we're going to the second part of um, the interview to talk about uh, another issue, um, which is this um, whole issue of public housing in um, the Moreland area. Um, Sue, can you tell us about this public housing estate um, that I imagine is it's in Brunswick West um, that is currently in the process of being sold off by the state Labor government? Yeah, it's actually a statewide issue, not just a Moreland issue. Mm. Yes, so this estate in Brunswick West is one of eight to ten estates that are slated for redevelopment under the state government's public housing redevelopment or or renewal program. Now, it sounds really great, public housing renewal. Oh, they're going to rebuild and build new public housing. Um, Now, this name or title, public housing renewal, is a total misnomer and I've come to the conclusion as more information comes to light that actually this is in reality a handout to private developers with the public housing element being a way of making it palatable to the public. So what they're going to do is they're selling this land probably cheaply to developers. The developers will develop the the land for um, high-rise towers in areas which are currently low-rise, but only a minor part of these towers will be public housing. Um, So the developers will be committed to building um, a a 10% increase of public housing. So that's tiny. So that means out of all these housing developments across Melbourne that they're supposedly renewing, there'll only be a 10% increase, i.e. 250 extra dwellings. Not very many when you look at how many people are homeless in Melbourne at the moment. Um, and so, and these developments um, will be mostly one and two bedroom flats. Now, currently, most of these um, public housing estates slated for renewal are three-storey walk-ups, and they're mostly three-bedroom units, which means that there's a lot of families living in these units. And I've been door-knocking in the West Brunswick estate. People don't want to go. They want to stay there. Some people have lived there a very, very long time. Um, it, It would be very rare for poor families to be live that to be able to live that close to the city, and the state government is going to expedite these developments so they'll be exempt from local government planning laws. So I can imagine there could be some 
also some messy local community campaigns where some people um, you might have in the same campaign people who oppose to developers being exempt from these laws and being able to build, I don't know, 10 plus stories in an area which is only limited to three stories. And you might have in that campaign some people who support public housing but opposed to the high rise and other people who don't want poor people living next to them and using the heights as an excuse to campaign against poor people. You, that, you could have some messy campaigns like that. Um, and the D, um, DHHS, the department that's running this, um, says to the pub, current public housing tenants that um, they'll be able to return if they're still eligible well, if they're currently in three-bedroom units and the new units will be one- and two-bedroom units, then that means the Department of Housing and the government and the developers have made these housing, public housing tenants ineligible mm. to return. Mm. Um, so that's really outrageous um, distortion. And if people are allowed to return or, or manage to win the right to return, it won't be public housing. It will be community housing. All social housing, all the like, this, this the vocabulary is floating around. Well, that's right. And that's important to understand because community housing or um, housing association housing charges higher rents. Um, they charge 30% of your income in rent, whereas public housing tenants pay 25% of the income in rent. Um, and they also, um, there's no security of tenure. They house a very few vulnerable people um, because they prefer people who are already working or working part-time. So that sort of cuts out people who are on the dole who aren't working part-time. So they just house very few vulnerable people and then people won't have the right to return or most people won't have the right to return. So this is really terrible, terrible thing that's happening. So I've drawn the conclusion this is really just a handout to developers with uh, using public and social housing as a fig leaf to cover up the fact. Hmm. Also, I've also heard that um, the rents that will be charged will be, um, you know, like two percent less than no, seventy-eight percent of market rent. So if you're paying, you know, four hundred, the market rent is four hundred dollars. If if you charge three hundred seventy-five, that's acceptable in social housing, uh, which could be a huge chunk of people's um, income. You know, some people earn like five hundred dollars a, a week, and that means it's, it's more than you know fifty, sixty percent of the income. What are they going to eat? So this is absolutely draconian. What they're looking, what we're looking at at the moment. It's it's just you know, driving the poor against the wall. That's what it is. Sorry, Jacob, you're going to say something. Um, I'll just, I was just going to ask, what is, um, I think you mentioned some of this, but what exactly is going to happen to the tenants who are already living in this, um, on, in these um, public housing estates? Well, they'll be evicted and the state government will find somewhere else for them to live. Now, given the shortage of public housing, um, that's going to cause a massive impact on 
other public housing because they'll have to find public housing for them. Otherwise, they'll be otherwise they'll be in um, private rental um, somewhere in Melbourne, and um, so that means you know public money is eaten up with public re- with private rental. Now, there's no um, reason why if the government was serious about public housing renewal, there's no reason why they couldn't just rebuild a block at a time on each of these estates. There's no need to bulldoze the entire estate and redevelop the entire estate. You could easily um, just bulldoze the blocks that have real structural problems and issues and um, and uh, the other residents of that estate could stay because these are real communities and despite all of the um, you know, state government and commentators etc going on and on about social stigma and how public housing failed etc these are real communities um, they haven't failed yes on some estates there might be some social issues happening but these are real communities and walking around the West Brunswick estate you can see that people know the other people on the estate there's a lot of friendship circles there's a lot of people who support each other and talking to people on other housing estates that's the case as well and that's actually probably less likely to happen in private rental or community housing where there's no no security of tenure whereas at public housing there's security of tenure so that means that people who live there a long time build up a community and you can see that with people's gardens where a lot of people have well-tended little gardens you know because they've lived there a long time mm. and certainly one person I spoke to a Somali <laughs> woman said that they'd previously lived in private rental in the western suburbs and and this woman's mum elderly mother hadn't been able to communicate to the neighbours because the neighbours um, only spoke English and it was only since they moved into this estate where her mum was able to communicate and had a social life because there are other people who are Turkish and Arabic speakers there and so her mum had really benefit, benefited from being um, living in this estate mm. and they're worried about moving yeah, and uh, we're coming to the end of the time, uh, Sue, but it's interesting, isn't it, what you just said is, is um, the mental well-being of people um, it is enhanced because they're able to make these connections, and that's what's important, isn't it? It's an overall health issue, um, a fundamental human right, as you say, and... Um, can we just advertise um, a couple of things that are coming up in relation to housing? And it's a combination of uh, mainly state government responsibility. But uh, while we um, are on the topic, we should announce those uh, meetings coming up. And I think, Jacob, you've got the yeah. leaflet there. Oh, yeah, can you tell us, uh, maybe just tell us a bit about the public meeting that's coming up this Saturday. On, tomorrow. Um, well, tomorrow on the issue. Well, tomorrow there'll be um, a public meeting organised by Friends of Public Housing. Um, uh, in the Richard Lynch Senior Citizen Centre, which is located at 27 Peacock Street, West Brunswick. It comes off Albion Street for people who 
know the area, um, and it starts at 2 p.m. It's been organised by Friends of Public Housing, and as well as someone from the local estate speaking and Friends of Public Housing, there'll also be William Gwynn, uh, a public housing tenant from the Northcote estate, who spoke at a rally um, against the redevelopment of the Northcote estate um, a couple of weeks ago, um, a great speaker. And so part of this meeting will be um, not only talking about the issue and what's being planned, but also um, talking about do people want to do something about it, do people want to resist, for example. There is um, someone on the estate who says that everyone on his floor wants to resist moving um, and you know I certainly believe if there's anyone who wants to resist moving we should back them mm. all the way support them yeah yeah okay great too and there's another meeting on the 29th isn't it oh not 29th when is the next uh, public housing meeting there are two meetings on um, oh, there's one on the following weekend I think on the Sunday from memory at Seaford um, at 2pm I'm not sure I think it's the Seaford Community Centre. So there's one the following weekend um, at Seaford, um, and that's advertised in the Greenleft Weekly Activist Calendar. Yeah, we'll, we'll look at it later on. Okay, thank you so much, Sue, for being available so early in the morning for such um, an involved and, and heavy sort of topic in a sense, and it gives uh, 3CR certainly that opportunity to advertise local and community action and political stuff that's going on, and it's right next door. <laughs> thank you so much, Sue. No worries. Thank Have you. a good day. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Bye. Yarra Council presents the fifth annual Leaps and Bounds Music Festival 2017. Opening on Thursday the 13th of July with Augie March at the Corner Hotel. Hosted in more than 40 music venues within the city of Yarra, the 10-day festival runs until Sunday the 23rd of July and features Ed Cooper, Dave Graney, the Letter String Quartet, Brooke Russell and Hungry Ghosts Reformation Show. For participating venues and tickets go to leapsandboundsmusicfestival.com 3CR supporter. Okay, um, you are back on Green Left Weekly Radio. Um, we just had an interview with um, Moreland City Councillor Sue Bolton, um, that, which was quite an intensive interview. So for those who listeners who probably are just tuning in now, um, you'll be able to listen to the interview in its entirely on um, the podcast when it is uploaded online later today or on Monday. Okay, so um, now just to give, um, we are going to, have the activist calendar at 8am um, so we have at least probably six minutes or now five for a bit of news um, so I'll just give a bit of um, some news from Green Left Weekly, just some brief um, uh, sort of news um, basically here's um, one news story that's popped up is um, Fair Work Commission rejects paid domestic violence leave. Um, for a second time, the Fair Work Commission has rejected the ACTU's bid to make 10 days paid family and domestic violence leave, leave a minimum standard in all modern awards. However, and what the ACTU said was a move in the right direction, the full bench of the FWC um, said it had formed the preliminary rule that all employees should have access to unpaid and family and domestic leave. 
should be able to access personal carers leave for the purpose to make taking family and domestic violence leave. So that's a bit of proof news story. Um, the next news story is um, just a bit of interesting kind of thing, a uh, bit of a ritual for workers. Uh, well, exploited workers. Um, basically, <laughs> during the grand prize, apparently there were more than 20 workers who were paid nothing to work in um, customer service roles at the grand Melbourne Grand Prize, and they will now receive back pay for all the hours they've worked. Um, before the race, um, labour hire firm Adeco offered casual workers a volunteer opportunity that involved pre-race training and three days full work in customer service or unpaid. The Media, Entertainment and um, Arts Alliance took the case to the Fair Work Ombudsman, alleging breaches of federal workplace law. The Ombudsman found against Adeco, which has paid five workers engaged, and the Grand Prize Corporation will pay back another 18 workers uh, it's kind of funny actually um you know how how sort of you know corporations or you know try to exploit this because basically that is actually the kind of type of job that someone would be willing to work free because you know the, the you know the glamour of working for the grand prize <laughs> and uh, it will be just and the fact that it'll look good on your cv but you know the reality is that work should be paid like and right. th- especially since it is gonna there is like even if it was volunteer there's likely to be a lot of applicants well there is work that's what it means you know if if you are going to get a volunteer to do some work for you that means there is a vacancy <coughs> there is space for a worker mm. a paid worker why are you using volunteers yeah. uh, other than to exploit them and then there's also the fact that the, you know, the Grand Prize Corporation, they have millions of dollars, billions of, of dollars. They yeah. can afford to actually pay their workers probably better than, than other companies. And they're not, they're not a charity. They're not a not-for-profit organization. Yeah. So why are they, why are they pretending have, um, that they are? So that's, that's because the government supports them, Jacob. They haven't worked it out yet. Um, so yeah. Um, now just to give another brief news story. Um, this is something else, um, in the latest Green Left Weekly. Um, but, yeah, it's an interesting story on two Australian citizens were apparently sent to immigration detention. Oh, God, yeah. um, the immigration department has confirmed it wrongly sent two Australian citizens to immigration detention after cancelling their visas. Um, the two who were born in New Zealand and hold du- dual citizenship were taken to immigration detention after their visas were cancelled following their release from prison. One was taken to Christmas Island and one other was detained offshore. Under Section 501 of um, the of the uh, Migration Act, a non-citizen's visa must be cancelled if they serve a jail term of more than 12 months. The case is reminiscent of the wrongful imprisonment of Australian citizens, Cordillero Roll and Rivian Solon. You know, regardless of that injustice, I, I still think, you know, the whole immigration detention mm-hmm. regime should be completely abolished. Uh, we, and, yeah. of course, the... Those Bring them here, well. process them properly, save save all the heartache. And, and there is a silent um, you know, mental health crisis going on among, um, uh, you know, the um, uh, refugees. And we know that there's so much uh, attempted suicide um, and there's so much, um, you know, a risk, uh, at risk behavior. And, and this is not just um, here. It's all over the world. And it's stupid to... to not know, well, I shouldn't say stupid, but, you know, it is um, a rather smart strategy of the government not to allow people to publicize any of this um, and keep it under the rug. And, and the latest news um, is that the, the, the U.S. Um, has um, completed or, or reached its uh, full tar- target 
for refugees for this year, which means the Australian deal with the U.S. about getting some of the people in Manasar over there, it's uh, looking rather bleak. So that's another uh, news. And the other breaking news is that uh, Liu Xiaobao, who's a, you know, he was a democratic voice and he was an artist, author, and so on, um, has passed away, unfortunately. He was seen um, by the West as um, someone who was fighting for democracy from the Chinamen um, Square days. And it's sad. Um, China is uh, brutal towards anyone who protests against its government. But that is um, unfortunate that uh, that battle is now over. Maybe, you know, others will take up the mantle and, and, and start fighting for democracy in a, a, a regime that is um, quite authoritarian. And this man was a champion of nonviolence and human rights. And uh, his legacy, I guess, will be remembered in China and around the world. Uh, but anyway, now, um, anyone uh, we'll news? just play a quick announcement and then move on to the activist calendar. Yeah. Bring down the covenant, bring it to its heel. The seventh annual Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair is on Saturday, August the 12th from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. The book fair showcases more than 40 stalls and a program of workshops. It's a great opportunity to be introduced to new ideas, to challenge your thinking and to meet with like-minded folk. It's free and we also provide free childcare. At the Brunswick Town Hall on Saturday, August the 12th from 10 a.m. till 6 p.m. Find out more at www.amelbournebookfair.org or find us on Facebook, the Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair. The Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair is a 3CR supporter. Okay, if you've just tuned in, you're listening to um, Greenleaf Radio on 3CR 855 on your, 855 on your AM dial. Slow down <laughs> on your AM dial. And, um, of course, streaming live on the web. And uh, you can listen to the podcast if you've missed the interview with Sue, um, which is... Uh, interesting um, uh, account of um, the hub of activity in Moon of all sorts of things happening. So we're moving on to announcements. And um, before we do that, even though the Radiothon is over officially, we're still seeking donations from people to keep this radio station on air. Um, our title was Radio for Change, and we certainly are. We, uh, like you just heard, an interview with Sue about what's happening in, in local communities like in Moorland. Uh, we do a lot of um, interviews with people like that. Um, and unless we do it, no one else does because mainstream media does not cover uh, the real issues that involve people on the ground locally. So keep the funds flowing, and we dearly would dearly love for you to donate towards the program, uh, as um, have been announced many times. Any donations over two dollars is tax deductible. And thank you for listening um, and donating. Hopefully, you will. Um, moving on to the activist calendar, we, as we just said, there's a public housing meeting tomorrow at the, um, Brun- in Brunswick. It's at the uh, Richard Lynch Senior Citizen Centre, 27 Peacock Street, Brunswick. It's uh, Brunswick West, it's off Bal- Albion Street. And um, again, tomorrow there's a protest uh, against the Commonwealth Bank. Uh, tell Combank do not fund Adani. The action is brought to you by the Kuyong Stop Adani Action Group. 
a group of local citizens who want effective climate action and a clean energy future. And that's at 11 a.m. And people who live around the area, it's the CBA branch, 737 Burke Road, Camberwell. And uh, the third one for tomorrow will be the International Day for Nelson Mandela, a tribute to Mandela's extraordinary humanitarian values and leadership with music, dance, spoken word, and more. Two to six, Fed Square in the city. For more, you can visit Nelson Mandela Day. You want to do... The Sunday one, uh, Jacob? Yep, I'll do Sunday and Monday. Um, on Sunday, there's apparently going to be a film screening regarding the Galilea. Um, basically Galilee. Galilee. Yeah. Um, new, it's a discussion and campaign art and, you know, finding out what we can do to take uh, action on the whole issue of um, Adani. Um, it's going to be at 2pm, Unit 7 slash 15-6 Burwood High Row in T. Tacoma. Tacoma. It's a tough one. <laughs> which I have no idea where that is. <laughs> I know. There's so many suburbs you don't know. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> you don't know. But maybe there's some listeners who actually live in that area. Of course. Um, so, now the next one is a protest funeral for coal. 17th um, of... Um, Monday. Monday. Um, and July. that's going to be at 4 or 5 p.m. 695 Burke Road on Camberwell. Um, there'll be a comedy night, a political asylum um, and that will be feature comedians Matthew Kennelly, Isabel Angus, Claire Hopper, Demi Lani, and Gerald McCulloch. McCulloch. Um, that's from 6.30 to 7.30 at the Tuffin Town, which is at 252 Swanson Street in the cities. And you can probably make bookings for this by searching political asylum in Google. Okay, for Wednesday, ni- 19th of July, there's a vigil. Four years too many. Evacuate now. It's a four years successive. Australian governments have chosen to make people seeking safety suffer in the offshore detention. So, of course, we know the U.S. deal is falling through. So this is an urgent SOS. The camps must be evacuated immediately. So 6 p.m., State Library, uh, 328 Swanson Street. It's hosted by GetUp, and it's on Wednesday, the 19th of July. Um, on uh, Saturday, the 20, July the 22nd, there's a conference, Power Shift. I don't have any details on it. But oh, I have some details. Yep, um, basically, go. it's going to be a, a kind of two- to three-day conference yep. um, that's organised by the Australian Youth Climate Coalition. It's going to have a range of guest speakers, um, local speakers, and basically the key focus is going to be on stopping Adani, um, and also how, you know, we can create, you know, a sustainable future. It's mostly gonna have, it's gonna be, it's a very, it's a youth climate summit. Um, the first two days, Saturday and Sunday, will be at Latrobe University in Rondura. Um, and then on Monday, it will be shifting to Melbourne Town Hall, where there'll be a kind of big mass action kind of organized in, against Adani. Sounds good. Lots of action for climate, against climate change. Okay, 22nd of July, Saturday. There's a protest, roll against coal. Israel marching against coal through the city. We are going to have a roll against coal. Join us with our bike, with your bike to make a great spectacle as we convoy together across the city. So this is, um, if you want to get involved and you don't have a bike or don't want to bike ride, feel free to meet us at 7.45 a.m. at the State Library. This is on sat- next Saturday to go to the comeback. 9 to 2 p.m., State Library, 
Again, it's at 328 Swanson Street, hosted by Stoppadani, Melbourne. So there's lots happening there. There's a festival on the same day, this Saturday. Smith Street Dreaming celebrates the footprints of Koori history in Collingwood and Fitzroy. Um, the festival will feature Frank Yama, Emma Donovan, Young Warriors, Indigenous Hip Hop Projects, and uh, Jindy Warabak. Come and enjoy the hospitality. It's um, There's lunch available. It's 1 to 5 p.m., corner of Stanley and Smith Street, Collingwood. Now I'm going to go and ring for the next interview while you continue, Stephen. Yep. Um, so on Sunday, July the 23rd, there's apparently a film screening of Battleship Pond. Potomikin, I'm not sure why this is in the actress' calendar, but the it is. Peace silent, I think. <laughs> um, it's a classic um, 1925 yeah. Soviet silent film directed by Sergei um, Einstein. Um, it presents a dramatised version of the mutiny that occurred in 1905 when the crew of the Russian battleship Ponky rebelled against their officers. Um, and that's at 3pm at the Cinema Nova, um, you can, um, which is at 380 Ligon Street in Carlton. Um, you can probably make bookings by uh, going to the Cinema Nova website. There'll be a public meeting on how we can break the bipartisan support for offshore processing. That's on Monday, July 24th. Um, features speakers like Jed Carney, Mitchell O'Neill, Aaron Magnum, um, Lucy Holand, and that's at 6.30pm at the Shrades Hall, 54 Victorian Street, um, Carlton Staff, and it's organised by Refugee Action Collective. And that is on a Monday, July 24th. Um, There'll be a public meeting on July the 29th on Venezuela behind the crisis. Um, the Venezuelan revolution is facing its biggest crisis since the Intepnin Coup of 2002. Um, we'll feature a range of speakers such as Katrina Kovitz, um, Venezuelan journalist and activist, um, Federico Pontes, who's um, a member of the Australian Venezuela Solidarity Network and Socialist Alliance, and Lucho um, Riclome, who's a Lazant activist recently returned from Venezuela. Um, they'll be at 2pm um, at the Multicultural Hub 506 Lizard Street on Saturday the 29th, and it was initiated by Socialist Alliance and endorsed by Latin American Solidarity Network. Okay, so we're going to move on into our next interview. Um, so that's it for the... The bottom one. And then the top one. Six. Okay, so on the line we have... We, Michael, are you there? Yes. Yep. Okay. Good morning, Michael. Uh, and welcome to 3CR. Um, for those who have just tuned in, this is 3CR. We are talking to, uh, Mike, we will be talking to Michael Stone, who's an organizer with Haksu, um, to, at, in the northeastern region. Um, Michael, we believe that, um, the Victorian Minister for Mental Health, Martin Foley, has announced the closure of Bell Rats only. Continuing Care Unit, which is in brief CCU, Eastern View. Tell us what's going on. Oh, good morning, Ulrika. Thanks very much for this opportunity to talk about uh, the decisions that are being made and the consequences that will bear out on people who live in the Grampians region and mental health services in that area. Uh, earlier this year, uh, the Department and Ballarat Health Services decided that they were going to close the CCU, a community care unit that's based in Ballarat that draws uh, from across the Grampians region. I might just take a moment to explain what a CCU is Please do. and uh, further um, explain the consequences of closing it. 
but uh, largely CCUs have been around for a while. They are seen as sort of a halfway point between uh, acute beds and services in the community, but they're also primarily for supporting people with uh, mental health uh, illnesses over a longer term. For some people, that's highly necessary to make sure their recovery is sustainable. Um, so these are for patients that don't require inpatient treatment in hospital but need more than what they can get at home. Uh, this also successfully maintains their recovery and helps them to achieve self-sufficiency. Uh, again, therefore, people are seriously affected by mental illness and they helps develop uh, and relearn skills in self-care, communication, social skills in a clinical-based service. So uh, this is why it's vitally important and generally the care needs to run uh, from six months to 12 months. It's not a quick fix. Um, so getting back to what the state government are doing, the uh, Minister Martin Foley decided in March this year that they would close the CCU. Uh, they've told us, Lalitha, that it's because the unit has been operating under capacity. It has 20 beds uh, and they're telling us that it's no longer a contemporary form of uh, service response. Now, we're, we're a bit confused by both those statements. <laughs> yes. Um, again, uh, we see it as utter nonsense that any beds in mental health are closed. Absolutely. Uh, demand is only increasing. Mm. It's, not, it's not going away. And government after government promises to do more in this space and end up leaving in a worse situation. So we don't understand, one, why it's not contemporary. Uh, because it is often for people who don't have home or the family at home can't support them. So there is no option. Uh, of course, the union supports any situation where people are treated in their own home. That, of course, is the best result for everyone. Right. But it is not suitable for everyone, and particularly for this group of people. A CCU is ideal. Um, so we believe if they think it's not as contemporary as it should be, if it needs to be smaller groups closer to where people live, if it needs to have the model reviewed, terrific. Hmm. Um, we know all the staff, the clinicians who work there. Uh, we know that the union is highly supportive of doing that work. Uh, we don't understand why just the response is shut it down. Um, Can I just stop you there for a sec, just just in, just to, to to ask a question. Um, sure. What I don't understand is um, I'm a nurse and I've been nursing for mm -hmm. at least five decades. And I can tell you the the situation is dire for um, uh, mental health, uh, mental well, uh, people affected with mental health illness, a uh, mental illness, and it, it's awful to see this happen because what I've observed over the time is that um, the model of care has been early discharge, which has also meant there's an increased readmission. There's this rushed discharge processes that go on and there are, there are figures to support that so if you discharge people um, early 
or um, in, in a state where they need more care and support outside and hope that the families will give them that, that uh, care and support. It doesn't actually happen. And it seems this CCU is the um, intermediary organization that will support them into a transition into the community that will prevent readmission. Would I, would I be right in saying all that? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Um, for, for a group of people where that recovery is long-term, yes, absolutely. Um, and we, um, we've had members call this morning uh, over concerns about that very matter. Uh, they're getting calls to say that all the beds are full in mm. Victoria and even, the, you know, approach to can you take someone else. Our concern is always that um, if, if there isn't sufficient acute beds, uh, then people are left in emergency departments and not properly treated. People are rushed in, uh, into services that are not uh, ready or suitable for crisis or, or they're just left at home untreated. Um, or, or, so that's our greatest concerns about that uh, being stripped out of the system. So in Ballarat, I think there's about 55 beds. Uh, they'll be losing 20 so that has a significant impact on their ability to treat uh, long-term recovery or acute. And especially the in the country is, areas, isn't it? It's just oh, well, this, so vital. The, Grand region. the other thing about this decision, Belisdor, is that um, Ballarat will now be the only regional centre without the wow. CCU. Uh, we don't understand why Ballarat, why the Grand Bins region, why the citizens that live there and, and those who suffer from mental illnesses are being treated differently from everyone else in Victoria. Hmm. We do understand that the government is funding the building and service of an alcohol and other drug service, which is terrific. That's fantastic. And they are uh, committed to building a park which is a prevention and recovery centre for 12 beds. Terrific. But they're totally different services that don't have the same capacity. Yes. Um, and we do understand that uh, the land upon which the uh, CCU currently is is being earmarked for that alcohol and other drug service. So the other thing we noted in the Treasury document that came out this year from the state government was that um, the... The, every other regional centre had been given money to purchase land for a, a drug service, but not Ballarat. So again, we say, why, why, is, Brandon, why is Ballarat missing out? Yes. Um, you know, yeah. And we appreciate the increasing funds that are coming into that region for mental health service, but not at the cost of cutting existing services. Mm. We also challenge the state government and BHS's assertion that this service was um, under capacity. Yes. Because we like know yeah. well we know that they've let it run down. Mm. In terms of the bricks and mortars we know they've let it run down. Yeah. Uh, we also know from our membership in the Grampians region, both in terms of Ballarat Health Services but also in community mental health services, that uh, they've uh, uh, you know uh, they've assertively uh, sort of put people off or put agency off from um, referring yes. uh, people to the CCU because yeah. they didn't like the model. 
Um, so they kept people out. People talked about the goalposts constantly moving. They talked about, you know, having to provide their own staff if they were to come in. Uh, all these sorts of things which only led to, you know, a poor capacity. But we look at it now and uh, they're already being asked to take more because the system's not coping. So it, it just leaves the union, it leaves our uh, members and, and employees in mental health scratching their heads as to what, why, why this decision. We mm. don't understand. Mm. It's great to see um, the union getting involved in community issues like I know you're protecting your members, but it's wonderful mm. to have the discussion about a union that's now involved in a, in a vital health service um, for that area and for the region. And you have taken some measures. You had moved a motion to save the Ballarat CCU at the ALP State Conference in May this year. Um, uh, did you want to talk about that or you want to... Uh, yeah, no, I'm happy to talk about that. Please do. Yes, um, we, we did move a, a motion at... Oh, we've lost um, the line. I'll try and get well, him back. Yep. Um, in the meantime, I'll just play a quick uh, announcement. WCR are selling Kofia Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black or you can choose from a modern design. Go to tcr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. Like in Canada and in Australia, they cannot discharge tailings directly into the riverways. But in Pogara, they discharge their tailings in the waterways and they kill us and they say, it's okay, you are just being killed for trespassing. Subscribe to 3CR, bringing you voices and opinions the mainstream media don't dare touch. They have the exclusive right to extract the mineral below six feet, but that exclusive right does not permit them also to kill people. Who does the killing? The company has a specially arranged security forces. Subscribe today. Call 9419 Okay, sorry about that, listeners. Um, for some reason, the line got cut, and I'm just going to do a quick summary, and then uh, I try to get um, Michael back, but it, his line was not working there. So anyway, so the HECSU, uh, uh, the Health and Community Services Union, moved a motion to save the Ballarat TCU at the ALP State Conference on the 25th of May on 2017. And... Um, Last weekend at the uh, Australian Labour Party State Conference, um, Haxo called on the state government to uphold the commitments made in uh, 2014 uh, ALP platform, immediately suspended the closure of Eastern, uh, to, to suspend the closure of Eastern View Barrett Committee Care Unit. For those who want more information, please with the, visit the website because it's an important service in the, the Grampians and people who are listening out there, that part of um, uh, Victoria, this is the uh, anyone who wants to support the campaign. It's all the W's. It's Haxu, H-A-C-S-U, um, 
dot asn dot au slash safe ballarat dash ccu um, so you'll get more information on it and there's also a petition um, that you can sign on the website um, so um, since the apologies for um, that cut off I'll see if that's him calling back but um, you want to make an announcement while I see who it is I'll just get a quickly um, talk about um, just make a plug for highlight of what's happening in Germany um, basically listeners probably know that um, that in Germany the, the G20 meeting is currently happening uh, dig, uh, which is an international forum and for governments and um, central banks of the 20 major company uh, economies um, and that in in response uh, as usually um, happens when there's uh, a, a gathering of you know world leaders and I, so sorry about that. We we'll have to cut, cut that short. Well, we can. He, we have our interview back, so we'll spend the last six minutes of our show. Couple of minutes, yeah. Talking to him. Okay. Hi, Michael. Hello, Michael. Yes. Thank sorry. Some. So I don't know what happened there, but anyway, you're explaining about the ALP conference. Let's yes. um, wrap it up with that one. Yeah. Well, from that, what we're asking the minister to do is reconsider the closure. Come and talk to staff. Come and talk to the community. Uh, talk to the union about a different direction. You know, uh, we believe that the CCU plays an important part of uh, mental health treatment <coughs> services in the Grampians region. Uh, we know that the op- other options are not good in terms of people only being cared for in emergency departments or acute beds being clogged up, uh, families not getting support at all or having to move to Melbourne to get support. Uh, or ending up on the street. We know that the lack of treatment for mental health illnesses ends up in all sorts of things that are not healthy for our society, such as family breakdown, loss of employment, family violence, homelessness. So, you know, there's important reasons why the part the CCU plays is so important. So, you know, we're, we're asking for the Minister to reconsider those decisions and to come and talk to us because we think uh, it can be a whole lot better. Absolutely. And this theme comes up time and time again, homelessness and mental health issues. It's it's almost epidemic across. Mm. We had an interview with another councillor before and um, the same theme came up and um, you're doing a great job there. And I just wondered if you want to inform people about the petition um, the union has put up. Uh, yes, we do have a petition on our website, so you can go to haksu at haksu.asn.au. Um, it is an important um, uh, petition that is going to not only Minister Foley, but the, uh, the local ministers, Sharon Knight and Jeff Howard, in, in the areas, urging them to uh, stand up for their constituents in that area. It's important that mental health services not just be a city thing, but it also extend to to uh, our uh, rural Victorians and that they not have to travel inordinate uh, distances to get uh, treatment that they're entitled to. So, uh, yes, of course, we'd love that to occur, but 
people who live in the Grampians region are, are welcome to call up those ministers at their electoral offices and express their concern about uh, this proposed closure. Hmm. Okay, thank you so much, Michael. Sorry about that um, break in the interview, but uh, that's vital information, and um, we shall keep an eye on what's happening with this um, campaign you guys are conducting. Thank you so much, Lorita. Thanks, Michael. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. And that brings we, us end to the end of the program. Yep, so we don't really have much time to say, just other than thanking all our listeners, um, thanking um, all our guests that we had on our program. Um, stay tuned for Beyond Zero Emissions um, while after we play the outro. This brings us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio. Brought to you by the Green Left Weekly Newspaper, which provides a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment first. If you would like to subscribe to the newspaper and get it delivered to your door, you can do so by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au or call 1800 634 206. For new subscribers, it is only $10 for the first six issues. Repeats of the show and interviews are podcasts on our homepage on the 3CR website. Thank you for listening. You are tuned in to 3CR Community Radio, 855 Digital on the AM dial and streaming live on 3cr.org.au. start sometime. What better place than here? What better time than now? than here. What better time than now? Oh.